As the choir is finding their seat, let us pray. God, thank you that, Lord, you have allowed us to worship you thus far this morning. We believe in the resurrection, Lord. We believe that you came and you died for our sins so that we may live forever in eternity. Lord, may you take these words and multiply them, Lord, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we have a fifth Sunday today, and if it's okay with you, I'm going to take just a little pause from our series called Determined out of the book of Nehemiah to take just a few moments this morning to talk specifically on the Lord's Supper. You see, the Lord's Supper and baptism are the two ordinances that we as Southern Baptists believe that are the biblical mandate for us to partake in the same ministry that Christ carried out for us. As we come to these, both allow us to commemorate the life-saving work that Jesus Christ has done on our behalf over 2,000 years ago. Now, the Lord's Supper and baptism, these are ordinances, they do not save us. Only the blood of Jesus Christ that was spilled for us saves us. But baptism and Lord's Supper, they are outward signs. They were outward symbols of what God has done with us on the inside. The Lord's Supper reminds us of our constant dependence upon God. By remembering His sacrifice, we also remember the magnitude of both God and Jesus' love for us. The salvation that believers enjoy The salvation that you enjoy, if you call yourself a Christian, I want you to understand that salvation did not come cheap. It cost God everything that He had. So if you would, take a moment and transport yourself back to that night where Jesus was fellowshipping with His disciples. And on the very next day, He would be taken to be tried and crucified. This is the last supper he had with them before his death. And he used this opportunity to teach them about his work and his ministry. I I love the fact of knowing that even the disciples who walked beside Jesus, who held Jesus' hand, who saw firsthand the miracles that Jesus accomplished, Jesus still knew that they didn't fully understand what He was about to do. And this takes place in this intimate supper between Jesus and His closest friends and His followers. So the question for this morning is, why is it important? Why is it important to partake in the Lord's Supper? Why do we do Is this just because we're a Baptist church? And we're supposed to do it? Is it just because it's in our constitution and bylaws? Because if you are in a Baptist church at some point, you have to take the Lord's Supper. Amen? There are some churches that have the Lord's Supper every Sunday. There are some churches that rarely have the Lord's Supper. Why is it important to partake in the Lord's Supper? And is it for everyone? Is the Lord's Supper for everyone? I want to to challenge you today is that I am grateful that we we have chosen as a church to 
commemorate the Lord's Supper on the fifth Sunday. And we have got some sweet ladies that have put this together. And we have some beautiful tablecloths that is going to make it a very touching and moving service. But I want you to understand that the Lord's Supper is not about the frequency from which we take it. It is not about the number of times we take it. But it is about why we take the Lord's Supper. You see, Paul received word that the church in Corinth was fighting. The very same church that during his missionary journey, his second one as a matter of fact, he ran into Aquila and Priscilla and they planted the church and began the church of Corinth. Remember, they were taught the, the movement called the Way. The Way, the teachings of Christ, was making its way across the nation, across the country, across the world. He planted that church, and at its very beginning, it was a beautiful thing. But as with every church, not just the church of Corinth, but with Homeland Park Baptist Church and any other church that assembles together, whether they are in a house, a building like this, or a multi-million huge arena, there's going to be problems. There's going to be disagreements. And what had happened is in the church of Corinth, they were fighting. The church was splitting. It had become selfish, and the momentum of the gospel and sharing of that gospel had almost screeched to a halt. The church was fighting instead of worshiping. And Paul was not happy with them. Why is it that churches have record attendance on business meeting days when they know there's going to be a fight? Why is it that, that, that and I'm not talking about just this church, I'm talking about every church. I remember uh, a church I was in before. I mean, if you want to have a record attendance, it's not invite a friend to church day, it's have a fight at church day. And then you'll have people, it's kind of like when you're in middle school, fight! No, it just kind of runs out and just, wants to see what's going on. They were fighting, and when a church fights, they cease to share the gospel. And if anything, they scatter believers rather than gather them. What could possibly bring the church of Corinth back together? How could they remember the very reason they came together in the first place? How can the Lord's Supper that sits in front of us as Holland Park Baptist Church and as a believer in the bigger church of Christ and His kingdom, as we are all part of the body, how can this help us today as an individual and as a church? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But we're going to start here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 22. And in verses 17 through 22, we see in the church of Corinth the shame of wrong worship. The shame of wrong worship. Read with me if you would. Now in giving the following instructions, I do not praise you. This is not going to start well, is it? Since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. 
Verse 19, there must indeed be factions among you, so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper ahead of others. So one person is hungry, while other persons get drunk. Yes, they had communion with wine. And it says, don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you look down the church of God and embarrass those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you for this. The first thing we see here is, Houston, we have a problem. We have a problem in the church of Corinth in the way worship is done. People are not focusing on the reason for the Lord's Supper. They are focusing on the elements of the Lord's Supper. And what it became in the church was those who were more influential in the church, those who had more money, they would come, and if, if they were better than someone else, they would get access to the bread. They would get access to the wine. Not to the point of remembering what Christ has done, but fulfilling their physical cravings for bread and for drink. Paul was writing this letter to the church in Corinth because there had been disturbing trends in their worship. There was no unity in the church. There was no unity in the church, and their behavior had become self-centered and divisive. If you want to kill what God is doing in your life, let your selfishness take over. If you want to kill what's happening in your church, let selfishness take over. That's what was happening in the church of Corinth. Here's the sign that you have a problem. There was a troublemaker in the church that had a prayer. The prayer went like this. It said, Dear Heavenly Father, So far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped or lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, or self-centered. I'm really happy about it so far. But in a few minutes, I'm going to wake up and get out of bed, and I'm going to need a lot of help. <laughs> if that's your prayer, you might be the problem. That's okay. It's not just people. Preachers have problems, too. There was a dying preacher. He was old. He was dying. And he sent a message for his banker and his lawyer. Both were church members. He wanted them both to come to his home because he was dying. They were very active in the church. They were leaders. They were deacons. You know, they were, they were very close to the pastor. As they entered the room, the preacher held out his hand and motioned for them to sit on each side of the bed. The preacher grasped their hands, sighed contently, smiled, and stared at the ceiling. Boy, he was happy and content. And for a time, no one said anything. Both the banker and the lawyer were not only touched, but they were flattered that the pastor would call them to be beside him during his final hours. But they were also puzzled. The preacher had never given them any indication that he particularly liked either one of them. They both remembered his many long, uncomfortable sermons about greed, covetousness, and materialistic behavior. Finally, the banker had enough. The banker said, Preacher, 
Why did you ask us to come? The old preacher mustered up his strength. And then he said in a weak voice, Jesus died between two thieves. And I want to go the same way. Houston, we have a problem. Number one, you laughed at both of those jokes. <laughs> no, we, th those are just jokes. Those are just illustrations. But the truth is, there are times when you, the church member, are the problem. And there are times when I, the preacher, I am the problem. That's in any church. When we get our minds off of what Christ has for us and off of the mission He has for us, we can become sidetracked. That happened to the church in Corinth. There was no unity whatsoever. So then you have the question, you ever heard the phrase, is there a doctor in the house? You know, someone is, is, is hurt. Someone is, you know, someone falls down and, and you need to know, is there someone that can help? That's basically what Paul was saying here. If you go back and you see in the Scripture where he talks about the approved among you, meaning there were factions in the church, but within those factions there were still some church members that were doing church right. The faithful among you is what he's talking about. True worshipers are the ones that are not causing division in the church. Those are the ones among us that Paul is talking about. Every church needs those people that are true worshipers who worship God and do not give in to their selfish desires. Churches are filled with selfish people. And I'm one of them. We're all selfish. We are all sinners before God because we are inherently selfish. But we become a hindrance to others when our selfishness overtakes God's purpose in our life for sharing the gospel. We need men and women of God who can worship with integrity. We need men and women of God who can worship with authenticity. We need men and women of God that will worship with a grateful heart for what God has done. Then we see in verses 20 and 22, Paul was basically saying on them, shame, shame, shame. You know, you, you know I don't know why people did that, but they kind of did that with their finger where they just rub down the finger and say, shame, shame, shame. Anybody ever do that to you? I had it done to me once or twice. Well, the Corinthian church was bringing shame upon themselves. Their worship was out of focus. They were not worshiping God. They were not worshiping what He has done for them. They were worshiping themselves. It happens in every church. You know, the businessman that goes to a church only so he can increase his contact list, so he can call people and sell things. Or someone that is going to church for the sole reason of finding a date. Or someone who is seeking all the benefits of church membership without making a commitment to even be a member. Or members that can only seem to make it to church when we're eating or giving something away. Those things are not sins in and of themselves. There is nothing wrong with someone who is a business person courting people in the church. 
There is nothing wrong with people wanting to come to church to get food and, and to, to fellowship with one another. But when that is the only reason we show up to church, our worship is a farce. And our worship is based on selfishness. And in the church of Corinth, this is what was happening. Like I said, not all of those things are necessarily sins, but seeking Christ above them, that is what worship is. And that's what He wants us to do. You see, the church in Corinth was focusing on their physical cravings. The wine and the bread. But not their spiritual craving of being filled with the Holy Spirit and of worshiping Jesus Christ, our Savior. They had the wrong focus. And I want to show you this. A church focused on itself will never, say never, a church focused on itself will never reach out to others. You can take this to the bank. When we are focused on our needs and our wants, and we can tell the rest of the world to go to you know where. As long as we can have our church, our ways, our meetings, our things. We're going to be just like the church in Corinth at this moment. We also see that Paul gives us a reality check. In verses 23 through 26, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he also took the cup and said, The cup is the new covenant established by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes back. The Lord's Supper is a time for a reality check. It is a time. It is a declaration for us to proclaim that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and that His blood was spilled on the cross. It ran down that, that dogwood post. It ran down and it made puddles at the ground where the soldiers were. Every drop of that blood spilled for your sins that you have committed or ever will commit. That is what we remember when we drink the grape juice. That body that looked like hamburger meat hanging off of his bones. The Bible says he was barely recognizable. That is what the cracker represents. It is not about the elements. It is about what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so when we take the Lord's Supper, that is a sermon in and of itself. That we identify with that. And that we believe in that. The Lord's Supper reminds us that we are not worshiping to satisfy our selfish needs. But we are worshiping to celebrate Christ and the fact that He died on the cross for our sins and shortcomings. We need to wake up, church. This is not my church. This, I mean, we, our names are on the membership roll, but th we don't own this. We have a building. 
We have a charter. We have trustees. We have people. But at the end of the day, when we go to the Lord, this building is not coming with you, folks. This building is not coming with me. The only thing that's going to follow us is what we have done with the blood that Jesus spilled and the body that was broken. His body was broken and His blood was spilled so that we could worship Him this very day. And finally we see that we are asked, are we worthy? Are you worthy to take the Lord's Supper? Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 32. It says this, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin. There's no other way I could get around that, folks. What it says is what it says. If we take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way, we are guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. So a man should examine himself in this way. He should eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks in judgment on himself. What he was telling the church of Corinth, he was saying, if you think this is a game, if you think this is a, a, a societal echelon, a way to climb the ladder to, to make yourself look more puffed up, you are going to be in sin. If you are making a mockery of this ordinance of the Lord's Supper, then you are going to be convicted of sin. And he goes on further. He says in verse 30, This is why many are sick and ill among you. Many have fallen asleep. Yes, that means many have died. If we were properly evaluating ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged and we are disciplined by the Lord so that we may not be condemned with the world. What we see here, Paul is reminding them, and, and God gave him this vision of the Lord's Supper to remind the Corinthian church of why we are here in the first place. And that's one thing about every sermon, every worship experience, but especially the Lord's Supper. We have to ask ourselves, are we worthy to partake in it? Every evaluation needs a measurement. It needs a standard. We measure our spiritual walk against the sacrifice of Christ, not the success of others. We are reminded by the Lord's Supper that we are connected to the church and through Jesus Christ. And we are reminded that our actions directly impact the directions and the lives of others. And when it says whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, I want you to understand that means the sacrifice Jesus made with his body reminds us of the sacrifices we must make for the church body. When we recognize the sacrifice that Jesus made for his body, it reminds us of the sacrifice that we have to take for the church body. Every scar, every tear, every shooting pain that Jesus felt, Every drop of blood that was spilt is represented in the Lord's Supper. Don't 
Fool yourself, folks. Without proper evaluation, we will bring death to our bodies and the church body. If we are to look at this and say, oh, this is just about the crackers and the grape juice and then I'm going to go home, you have missed it. It is a worship experience to recognize and understand what Jesus Christ has done for you and done for me. We can fool ourselves with weak evaluations, but it says here, God's judgment shows no discretion. The Lord's Supper is not for God to beat you over the head. The Lord's Supper is a time for you to evaluate yourself. And if you are in an unworthy state, number one, if you're not a Christian, it is a time for you to understand what the the crackers and what the juice and what His body and what His blood has done for you as a sinner. That everything that you have ever done can be forgiven, not from the grape juice, not from the crackers, but through the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you. That is what Lord's Supper is about. But also, there are many of you in here today, and myself included, when I come to worship, when I come to the Lord's Supper, God reminds me of things in my life where He says, you know, you failed at this, and you failed at that. And it's not to give me a guilt trip, but it's saying, come before me, confess these things, and be clean so that you can take this in a worthy manner. What's the old saying they used to say? You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's what the Lord's Supper does for us. We can fool ourselves with weak evaluations, but God's judgment shows no discretion. I have a bad habit of letting mail build up. Y'all ever do that? We've got we've got one of those like counters in the middle of our house to where it seems like everything ends up on that counter. And it just piled, I mean, it's like we have a contest to see who can pile it the highest without it, without it going over. Of course, if y'all are coming over, we're going to clean it up so you don't see it. <laughs> but, but I am guilty of, of letting mail pile up. And uh, you know what? I realize at the end of the month, there's probably some bills that I need to pay. Because I like having power in my house. I like water. And I like having phones. But there is no discretion. If I do not pay, it goes away. Right? I can call them and give them excuses. I can say, look, it's in my pile. I'll get to it. They don't care. Folks, if we come to God and we say, God, I've got all my junk piled up and I'll get to it. It doesn't matter what we think about our pile of junk. God sees Right through it. Jesus sees right through it. Well, James 1, 23 and 24 puts it this way. James says, Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, he goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. You have an opportunity this morning as we pray And as we have our invitation, you have an opportunity to be right before the Lord. God has given you an opportunity to make yourself right before Him. Confess those sins. Lay these things at the altar. Maybe accept them as your Savior Lord. You have an opportunity to do that this moment. This is what the Lord's Supper calls us to do. Because we have been invited 
to partake of the Lord's Supper. You are invited this morning to take part of the Lord's Supper. The question is, will you RSVP? Will you respond to the call? Listen, there are many years I sat in pews and when the grape juice came by, I took it. When the cracker came by, I took it. I ate it. It was a nice experience. And I went away and I lost the blessing of being challenged by it. And in a lot of ways, I made a mockery of it. I don't want us to do that. That's not what the Lord's Supper is about. It is a holy thing. 1 Corinthians 11, 33 and 34 say, Therefore, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you gather together, you will come not under judgment, and I will give instructions about the other matters whenever I come. When he says, when you come together to eat, remember the church is not about you and your cravings. This is about Jesus and those that worship him together. Jesus invites those who are not worthy to come to Him, to come to the Lord's Supper table this morning. Receive the gift. Receive the gift of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper does not save you. I want you to understand, there is nothing... I mean, we have some very sweet ladies that touch these crackers and pour this juice. But that doesn't make this sanctified to the point to where it will save anybody. This doesn't save us. It doesn't turn physically into Jesus' body and Jesus' blood when we partake it. It is a cracker and it is a piece or a, a little thing of juice. But what does it represent? It represents what Jesus Christ has done for you and done for me. Paul reminded the church, as he does the same today with the Lord's Supper, that we are to be one in Christ. When we take the Lord's Supper, we are connected to the Lord. And by taking it to, together, we are connected with one another. The Lord's Supper reminds us this morning that as believers, we are connected to Him and that we are connected to one another as well. Jesus invites you to take part in the Lord's Supper this morning to remember His love for you by what He has endured. And we as a body of believers invite you to partake of the Lord's Supper to remember that we are one body and we have one purpose, to love God, to love one another, and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Will you RSVP this morning? We're going to go to our communion time now, but before we do that, I want to go ahead and give an invitation. Because just maybe there's someone in here that says, you know, I'm not worthy to take the Lord's Supper. And I either want to know Christ as my Savior and Lord, or I need prayer before I take it. It's going to be a, a brief invitation. But if you want to do business with God, if you like prayer, then you come forward at this time. Would you stand?